Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 180. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we've been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore on Twitter, joined by my co-host, John White, at BJourneyman. Hey John, how's it going? Hey Nick, I'm doing great. Just want to remind everybody that we are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations and that we hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Our DMs are open. Is that what the kids say? Wide open. That that means something, and I, I actually don't know what it means. I guess you could close your DMs. I've learned something just in this discussion right here. But yeah, we would like that feedback. Would love to hear from you. And ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, John. I feel like today is a day of new beginnings. Isn't this the start of something new, or have I just had too much coffee? No, you're you're correct. Uh, this is the beginning of a new series. We interviewed Bill Kindle, and we're not quite sure if it's going to be two or three episodes as of right now. We're, we're betting on three because apparently that's our new normal. But uh, yeah, Bill was a, you know, just a fascinating guy to talk to um, and had some really interesting things to say. I, I would say the early mention of tinkering, like that's another pattern that I'm starting to, uh, to recognize, you know, people who like to tinker. And if you don't have that instinct, it's something that can be learned. You know, it's, you just learn and shed the fear of breaking things. Anything that you uh, liked uh, that you want to tease a little bit here? There's actually a great story about how Bill got one of his first jobs in a customer service oriented business and the experience he had there. So I would listen for that one because that, I think, shaped his attitude down the road and made him who he is today in a lot of ways. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, um, I don't want to ruin anything else. So let's get to the first of, call it three episodes with Bill Kimball. Bill Kendall, welcome to the Nerd Journey Podcast. Hi, Nick. Hi, John. Hey, can you uh, tell us who you are, introduce yourself, and then maybe what is it you do right now? All right. Well, name's Bill Kendall. I am a cybersecurity engineer right now. Been in IT for a little over 20 years. Done a little bit of everything. It's funny. Uh, a lot of us get tagged with that jack-of-all-trades uh, early on in our careers. Can you kind of tell us how you got into the technology industry? Maybe how you got exposed to you know IT in the first place or computers? A long time ago. <laughs> actually, it wasn't really a, all that long ago when I was a, a young teenager. Started uh, playing around on my aunt and uncle's uh, Hewlett Packard computer that they had. It's running Windows 95. Learned how to play uh, NASCAR. I don't know if you ever played that one or not, but it's a super old game and the graphics are terrible. But for that time, it was uh, state of the art. But so I played that a little bit. Then I got introduced to Mario Teaches Typing. Um, which was pretty cool, and I started kind of playing around with that. Wait, did you say Mario teaches typing? Mario teaches typing. You can actually find that game on uh, some of the, like the old internet archives for the old like DOS emulators. How did wow. I not know about this? Wow. Yeah, look it up sometimes. It, it's actually kind of fun. It's not not Mavis Beacon. Oh no, but no. Mario. Mario okay. teaches typing. Yep, it's pretty wow. awesome. But I did that for you know a few years and uh, just kind of got generally curious and uh, started doing you know a little bit of. I guess, basic web design when I was in uh, beginning of high school and spent some of my like study hall time on a uh, computer that was in the classroom, just kind of, you know, pounding away the keyboard, looking up stuff on the internet and just tinkering. That uh, same aunt and uncle that had the Hewlett Packard computer kind of took notice that I was into that kind of stuff. I talked my aunt into buying me my first uh, how to build a PC computer book from, I believe it was Office Depot. Somewhere around the time I was like 14 or 15 and saved up some money that I had from a paper route. Literally, that I had a paper out at that time uh, when people still bought newspapers. Just kind of bought some computer parts online and just slapped it together, reading instructions in that book, and been doing that kind of stuff ever since. So people found out that I could do that stuff and paid me money to come and 
take viruses off their computer. Getting 30, 40 bucks as a, as a 16 year old is actually a lot of money. And people would just like, you know, hand it over to you. And all you did was spend 10 minutes removing whatever virus of the week was out there and running disk cleanup on their system. So I actually made quite a bit of money <laughs> in my early teens and a lot of it went straight into the gas tank. So I kind of got the idea one day after talking to my grandparents and, uh, and my mom and they uh, said, oh, why don't you go to school for that? And I was like, yeah, I, I kind of like that, you know, and talked to a guidance counselor in my high school and uh, they introduced me to the uh, trade schools that were in the area and uh, went and took a tour of trade school in uh, Bell Fountain, Ohio. They, uh, yeah, had, had some really cool programs and I did that for two years, my last two years of high school. I did vocational school for uh, information systems and uh, computer networking. So it just kind of came easy. I wasn't I wasn't a dumb student by any means, but I did pretty well there. I actually did better at vocational school than I would I did at my high school that I left. So after doing that for a couple of years, um, like I said, IT stuff was just kind of coming naturally to me, and I got talked into joining a bunch of friends to go to the now defunct ITT Technical Institute in Dayton, Ohio. So that's where I got my associate's degree. Was the vocational school like a work study type deal? Um, no, it was actually like a high school, like a, they called it a career center, but it, it's basically a JVS joint vocational school. Oh, okay. And, and it's like, you know, you go there and you learn trades while you're going in high school. And I'm, I'm a huge proponent of vocational schooling. I think every high school in America should be a vocational school because college might not be for everybody, but it doesn't mean you can't learn a skill. And, you know, there are, there are lots of trades out there that need skilled people. And even if you don't make it a career, just the fact that you know how to do it, you know, can make or break a person early in their career in any in any field. And that's kind of where, you know, it landed me with IT. You know, I, I came out of high school knowing quite a bit about computer networks and stuff like that. And it wasn't terribly hard for me to find a job doing some of that, or even, even doing work on the side for people. It was, it was fairly easy. So, but I, I'm very, very, you know, grateful that I had those conversations early on with my, you know, but starting with my grandparents and, you know, my mom and that guidance counselor I had that really kind of just put me on that right track. You know, it hasn't, it hasn't let me down yet. So there's a lesson here and this really resonates with me, Bill, because I've seen so many posts lately in different Reddit forums from high school students who don't know what they want to do. They're frustrated that they can't decide and Usually the advice I end up giving is like, go and get some experience in something. Yeah. You need to figure out if that's what you like to do or even interested in. Yeah. Sometimes you got to do a couple of different jobs before you find out what you don't want to do. And, you know, I, I've had friends of mine that, you know, they went through construction trades. You know, they learned how to lay bricks. They, they learned how to, you know, stud a wall, you know, skills that I, I wish I had. I've contemplated at times going back to school just to learn that kind of stuff it's just that that whole vocational experience was like one of the, the turning points uh, in early in my career was just having that experience and getting, getting that kind of interaction. It, it was priceless. That's why I said I huge proponent of vocational schools. I, I recommend every high school student check those out. I mean, I think there's a, there's a massive lesson there, right? Just like Nick, I think that I see, I think we've had this discussion before. I see, you know, technology trades, like very closely and much more closely associated with like the apprentice system, you know, if you wanted to become an electrician or a plumber mm -hmm. or a carpenter, right? It's like you need to kind of connect with somebody who can show you the ropes, who can give you a series of tasks to kind of get introduced to those skills and then, you know, work your way up, you know, before you can become like a master electrician, you have to be an apprentice electrician and you know, that that's kind of the joke with my like my name on Twitter is like the V journeyman. Right. Mm -hmm. So like I like I never have claimed to be a master because like there's no system like that in what we actually do. But, you know, there's people I think are ignoring a bunch of schools that like in, in trades that don't necessarily have like the cachet of, you know, computer programmer or, you know, doctor or lawyer or accountant, but are certainly the keys to like a very middle-class lifestyle. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, you can earn six figures being a nurse, for example, and people don't seem to realize that same thing. You know, you can tickle six figures as an electrician or as a carpenter, you know, you just have to know the industry, you know, pretty well and uh, make good decisions about the type of specialty you join. But, 
you know, very, very possible. So kudos to that piece of advice. And that's one thing I really like about the whole vocational school experience I had was just that the fact that it was there and it, it started with somebody telling me about it. When I got done with that or got into it, it was around 2000, 2001. I graduated in, in 2003. And I could tell you from what I learned back in, in those days to now, I mean, there's been there's been so much technological change since then. I mean, there's stuff that I learned in my trade school program that is completely irrelevant now. And that's and that's way IT, as you go through longer and longer in your career, you find out that, you know, a lot of the stuff that you learn and pick up on, if it's not something that's like the absolute fundamentals, it, it fades away. It, you know, it, it quickly becomes irrelevant. And you, and I guess you have to be kind of okay with that. And that was one thing that, you know, I learned early on is that I had to be okay with constantly learning. And about every about every five years or so, you know, I, I see, I, I have seen, you know, some pretty massive shifts in things, you know. I like that. I want to go back to one thing you mentioned that your grandparents and your uh, aunt and uncle encouraged you to get started somewhere because they saw you had an interest that you wanted to develop and they invested time and encouragement in you. You can't overlook this this portion of family support, you know, even at a young age for what potential career paths could be. So if you're mm-hmm. listening to this and you have kids, Really, for kids at any age, you know, Bill, you have kids. I have a daughter who's about to be a teenager. John, you're about to have children of your own. And it's important for all of us to be mindful of what our kids are interested in and what we might be able to help them figure out about themselves and what they could do with the skills that they already have. I think that one is hitting me harder and harder as I spend more time on Reddit as we talk to more people on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's just, you gotta, you gotta take interest in, in other people at sometimes. And that's, you know, John, you mentioned you, you are wanting to see like this trade, like our, our industry become more of like a, a trade skill. And I've actually, I've had those feelings for a very long time myself. And that, I guess that's, you know, kind of segueing into a, a book. You guys have had Don, uh, Don Jones on the program before, right? With the, Oh Yeah you know, some of his books and, uh, one of, one of the most influential books I've read that, you know, kind of hit me real hard. And I was like, wow, somebody else, you know, actually gets this too, um, was the be the master book, that whole series and, and every iteration of it is something that I, I still, I recommend to everybody, uh, pick up and read, especially if you're in the IT field, because there's so much truth in, in some of the stories in it that you can kind of juxtapose with what we do every day. And, and it really is. I mean, as time goes on, I've come to realize that you you got to take an interest in people. You do that by, you know, trying to help them along, trying it, teaching, doing doing that kind of stuff. And I that's that's why I wish that hopefully by the time if I ever get around to retiring that, you know, I, I actually see that shift where you're not seeing a bunch of people just hoarding knowledge, but you're seeing everybody share everything. And I hope to get to that point someday where I can be like, you know, I'm not that good at this <laughs> and you are so much better. Here you go, you know congratulations. I'm, I'm going to go take a breather. So I, no, I totally get it. I mean, you've kind of, I, you know, touched on a couple of things right throughout this. Like one is kind of the foundational skill is to always be learning and mm-hmm. people who, you know, hold on to like the one piece of expertise that they have and, you know, just hope that like the world doesn't change around them. Like that's just, that's just not going to work. Right. If, at a certain point in time that I just remember like the key to printing money was to be like a netware, like certified technician. And if mm-hmm. like that is what you held on to, you're nowhere right now. That just doesn't exist as a, as a marketable skill, right? But for a long time, it was the marketable skill and you just have to be constantly willing to learn new things and you can't hold on to any one thing. And then you said, you know, as you pointed out, like that push into like giving back, like none of us got where we are without, you know, people giving us a hand up and paying attention and giving us a push forward. That might be like the, one of the reasons that we founded this podcast, to be honest, is like, there's other ways forward and we just need to give people exposure for like the paths, you know, that they've taken. Cause certainly my path was not linear. And, you know, when I was, you know, 16 or 17 years old, the only path that I saw was a linear path, right? As I graduate high school, to go to college to get a degree in something, 
and then go to work for a company and practice that thing that I got a degree in. And almost anything else was like failure. And, and that's just not true. Like, you know, my career has been just totally nonlinear in that vein. Like what was the next step for you coming out of, you know, ITT tech? Like what possibilities did you see there? And then what path did you actually take? You know, I got out of, I got out of high school and was all, you know, bright eyed, bushy tailed, you know, like, man, the world is my oyster. I'm going to conquer it. And then reality set in and it was like, no. Nobody wants to hire an IT person straight out of high school, no matter if they had really strong grades and had provable skills. They're just like, no, you don't have certifications. So I settled on working at Walmart while I was in high school and uh, mostly through college, too. I saw that there was a new Walmart Supercenter not far from where I lived that was uh, starting to be built. And I was like, you know what? I always liked shopping at Walmart when I was a kid because, you know, it just was the store I was always at. (laughs) So I was like, why not go work there? It's better than Kmart. So... Sorry for anybody that worked at Kmart out there, but Walmart. It's okay. I worked at Walmart too. (laughs) So, hey, we got something in common. Yeah. I once parked at a Walmart, so. Yeah. Kind of the same thing. Yeah, almost. The whole story behind that uh, kind of starts off with I'm going out, applying for jobs, and, uh, you know, I I go to the local Walmart store that was, you know, already in place, but they were going to be closing it because they were building this new store. This probably was, I want to say 2002. They still had paper applications. So, I got in there and I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a job here. And I walked up, I filled out one application, put it in, didn't hear anything back because they were actively hiring for it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to really flood the system here. Walked back in and I got 25 paper applications, you know, cause they just had them stacked, you know, laying there in a, in a pretty huge pile. And I just kind of nonchalant walked in, grabbed just a fistful of them. It just so happened they'd be, you know, 25 Walked out with him, and I sat for an entire afternoon at my house, filling out each one of those by hand. So I had like a little system. I'd fill out my name, first name on each one of them. Then I'd go back, fill out the last name on each one of them, just line by line. I, I was a teenager. I didn't have anything else going on. So, you know, had all Were these time. identical applications, or were they each different? No, they were identical applications. That's why I was, I was going through them and just form-filling them really fast. Okay. Like I was a, like a meat puppet line printer. So I just, you know, went through all of them and... Took me a couple hours and got them all uh, completed, packed them up, went back up the next day, dropped off 26 applications. And a couple weeks later, I got a phone call and it was a lady on the other end of the line. She's like, you know, I'm so-and-so from uh, Walmart and I would like to bring you in for an interview. Show up at this uh, place and time and you're going to be like in with a bunch of other people. I was like, oh, okay. So they were doing like a mass hiring event, interviews and everything because it was a brand new super center. You know, they needed like three or 400 employees. So I get up there and, you know, I'm waiting. There's a bunch of other people and, you know, my name gets called. They bring me over to do an interview. And the uh, the lady that interviewed me just so happened she was the second in charge of the store. They already had like a store manager, but she was like the what they called the co-manager. She looked at me, had all 26 applications stacked right there in front of her. And she's like, for a gentleman as young as you who took the time to fill out 26 applications, she's like, I would I would not be able to live with myself not having called you. And I was like, well, thank you. I was like, it worked. <laughs> that lady was a, a real nicely. I actually worked with her for about three years. Great respect. I learned a lot of retail stuff from her. It was it was awesome. I did my three years there. Learned a lot about people. Got to see a, a lot of weird stuff. Customer service is a lost art to a lot of people. Thankfully, I had management that, you know, they drilled that in every single day. You got to have good customer service management. You got to have good customer service. Just you know, whatever you got to do, take care of the customer. That's what you do. The managers empowered everybody from, you know, the janitor all the way up to themselves. They empowered their people to make decisions. And that's, that's one thing that always kind of stood out to me. It's like, you know, as a, as a sales floor associate, I was given carte blanche on a lot of stuff that, you know, like if I felt I needed to do it, I, they, they were like, you just do it, make a judgment call and do it. it wasn't too often I had management in my career that was like that. It was pretty rare, but I'd always knew that I didn't want to, I didn't want to really want to stay there. They actually had me um, at one time pegged for, you know, management training program. I interviewed for that, didn't get accepted, but I kept trying to do like Walmart IT. I was like, yeah, you know, if I can get into that, that'd be really cool. You know, again, this is back in 2004, early 2005. You know, I I was just always kind of interested in it because I knew it's like, you know, Walmart was the, you know, leading retailer in logistics and they owed a lot of their logistics might to, you know, their, their use of computer systems. And I was like, you know, man, if I could really get into that, that'd be cool. Tried that. It didn't really go anywhere. 
you know, eventually I started getting kind of disillusioned with it. I was just like, you know, I'm not going to go anywhere here. Can't get into management. Can't get into IT. I'm, I'm going to look for greener pastures. Some stuff came up and I was able to actually um, leave Walmart. And I did a short-term internship for the former vocational school that I used to work at. Or used to go to school to, I should say. Took that opportunity because it was a more money. And put in my two weeks notice and left. That's cool. So it sounds like you had a vision of what you wanted to do. You knew it wasn't going to be, even when you walked in the door at Walmart, like that's not where you wanted to stay. You realized that, you know, you needed either progress or leave and progression came in a certain number of routes. And when you realized that that wasn't going to happen, you knew that you had to, it was like door three. Like, yeah, leave. <laughs> right? I, I, I always joke. It's like, you know, I could only sell so many HP computers in a box and Linksys routers and tell people how to set them up before I got bored with it. So there was a few occasions where people like, hey, you know, could you come hook this up for me at home? And I'm like, hey, come back after four o'clock and we'll talk. And they would show up after four o'clock and be like, are you still interested in making some side money? And I'm like, yeah, I'm not on the clock now. So sure. That's, That's again, going, going back to the whole thing where people used to hand me checks, you know, from an early age, like just to fix computer problems. I, yeah, I moonlighted a little bit. I, I'm not ashamed of it. Yeah. When you get seven fifty an hour and you get to do it work on the side, you're like, man, I'll do some it work. So retail stuff's for the birds. Like I said, the opportunity came up to go work at my former vocational school um, as an intern. And I took it. How about those customer service skills and the transferability into the internship and beyond? Because I imagine that that, as impactful as it sounds like that was from your management to take care of the customer, how did you take that forward? Well, like like I said, all my customer service skills that I learned, I learned early on, uh, I owe it to my time at Walmart. The managers they had at the time were very people-oriented and, and very dedicated to that fact. You know, they did whatever, they, they went above and beyond all the time. And they instilled that in everybody. And, I, you know, that, like I said, it's the one thing that kind of always stuck out to me. And I, I still try to make it a point today when, you know, when I'm helping people, I try to remember that. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not some tech elitist, you know, that has secret knowledge. I'm there because I, I have a certain set of skills and can apply them and I can, I can help somebody. So that's what I do. You know, if they've got a question, I, I try to go out of my way at times to, you know, help them out. I would say that everybody in IT, no matter what level you're at in your career, or even just, you know, just getting started, it would really be beneficial to do some type of work where you had to deal with individuals on a regular basis for a little while. Uh, because you'll learn so much about people, you know, and what, what makes them happy, what makes them mad. And it's not, it's not so much, you know, like learning how to like read facial expressions or listen to people's tones. It's listening to their problem and trying to help them resolve that problem. You know, there's some days you can't, you can't resolve some problems because, you know, there's some people you just can't help, but you learn, you learn to recognize that you'll, you'll see that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that genuinely, genuinely need help. And there's, you know, the occasional person will come along that, you know, just wants to be a jerk and all they can do is complain. They, they don't, they don't really want a resolution. They just want, they just want to be, you know, just to yell or whatever. And in a way that's kind of something else you got to learn to do too. You know, sometimes, it, sometimes it's not personal. They just, they, you know, it comes down to something simple. Like they just want to be heard. They just need somebody's ear and you might be the unfortunate one to, <laughs> to have to lend that ear for a little bit. So, I mean, working retail, I say is like one of those, it, it almost should be a rite of passage for it people. Just work retail for a month, you know, a couple of weeks, just do it a little bit and you'll thank yourself later on, especially if you have to deal with a lot of people. So. Because there's, I still haven't found that IT position where you can go into a cave and not come out for a little while without talking to somebody. I'm sure they exist, but it's got to be a miserable existence. I, I, it's not something I would strive to want to do. It's so fascinating. It, it fits in with um, something my wife actually pointed out to me, which was it was an article about the hidden cost of emotional labor. And, you know, emotional labor is like the stuff that people expect above and beyond like the actual thing that they're paying for right so you might pay for somebody to like tell you something but the fact that they're friendly while they're doing it and smiling at you and making you feel heard is the thing that they expect above and beyond right that's the emotional labor and 
unless you're you've ever been paid to do that like you know i'm sure that you know bartenders have to do that uh servers and restaurants have to like provide that emotional labor unless unless that's ever been part of your job description like implicitly or explicitly you you don't understand the uh the value of that and unless you've been doing it you don't understand the 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 labor part of that yeah i've always found that that always falls under other duties as assigned <laughs> i was thinking the same thing <laughs> that, that's a, it's the catch-all and usually when you when you see that you're like oh yeah i'm gonna be dealing with people problems so like i said it that kind of like molded and shaped my early on my careers you know you have you have to be willing to help people and, and take care of them in it and that's what i've always tried to do went on to work a couple months at that uh, vocational school won't go down into the nitty-gritty details but it's the only job i've ever been fired from I kind of got taken out one day and they're like, Hey, you need to go see, uh, you know, the superintendent of the school and, uh, we're going to have a little chat. And I was like, Oh, okay. Go in there. And I'm promptly informed that I'm being fired and that the school board's been notified of my, uh, firing and that there's nothing I can do because the school board pretty much, you know, blah, blah, blah. All I remember is I, I blanked out at that point and I just said, well, I guess I quit. <laughs> and I walked out while being yelled at by the superintendent. So there was a laundry list of stuff that was listed out that was reasons for me being let go. And I was like, oh, none of this stuff was ever brought up to me. And uh, okay, thanks for giving me a chance to rectify these issues that I didn't know I had. So I walked away from that job with, you know, a real sour taste. I mean, it was it was a pretty decent paying job. Um, it was my first IT job. So I felt like an absolute failure, you know, being let go from that for what I, I felt were some pretty petty reasons. Kind of sulked around for a couple of weeks and... My wife, uh, you know, she wasn't my wife at the time, still my girlfriend. She uh, kind of kicked me in the rear and said, uh, you want me to stick around? You need to find a job. So I even flirted around with the idea of working for the railroad. Like I actually signed up for a conductor training course with a class one railroad. Actually got a phone call from them one day saying, hey, we want to uh, bring you down to McDonough, Georgia for about six weeks. You know, you're going to be making like $300 a week, but we pay for your hotel and everything else like that while you complete conductor training. I was like, sweet. This was like my secondary career choice. I'll go work on trains. Hung the phone up with that lady and it was like 30 minutes later, I get a phone call from a little shop in Dayton, Ohio that wanted me to come in for an interview. They said they got my name from a former director at ITT whose son worked there at one point in time and he had a, a tendency to feed uh this shop recent graduates we're you know we're in december of 2005 and uh i'm like yeah i'll go down there so i went down there interviewed with uh my first uh pretty good boss and uh got hired on the spot right then and there so i was literally days away from either continuing my it career or working for a class one railroad systems engineer railroad engineer engineer that's a, it was, i was going to be yeah. an engineer of some sort so <laughs> one way and it or didn't even take 26 applications this time no 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 it didn't i packed up and got ready to do that um it took me about i don't know two maybe three weeks of driving back and forth from dayton where i live to there to basically say oh, i'm not doing this uh every day i'm going to move down there worked for that gentleman for about three years did pretty much all kinds of like really interesting work. I, I like to think of this as my actual first real IT job and not the internship with the school for many reasons, because I, I, I learned so much in such a short period of time there because they were like a little mini MSP. So you hear a lot of people talk about, you go work for an MSP, you drink from the fire hose. It's not, not a joke. I started off doing uh, basically what they called bench technician. So people brought their computers in. I repaired them, cleaned them out. I learned just how dirty computers can get. But I did that for about a month got handed a set of car keys one day and they're like, Hey, you've been promoted. You are now a network technician. I was like, Oh yeah. What will we do that? And they're like, here's a tool bag. And, uh, you're going to go pull some cable. And also you're going to do PMs on computers and servers. I was like, Oh sweet. Finally, real it work. I pulled a lot of cable, put a lot of patch panels in, just did all kinds of like really interesting work. Um, I, I learned about digital video surveillance systems. Um, you know, how to, how to do physical security with camera systems um, which that was a skill that actually paid off a couple of times over. I wanted to like do more in the business. I, you know, had kind of the hopes and dreams. I was like, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of like this MSP kind of gig. I would like to open up my own location and ex help expand the business. And, you know, I started having some serious conversations with the, the uh, owner at the time. I was like, I wouldn't mind moving back closer to home, 
why don't you let me open an office up that way and see if I can make a go at it. Got told, well, you know, we're not really in the financial position to do that just yet. Maybe someday, but just not right now. And me not being the one that can really take a no like that for too long, I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go find something else then. And this was like right around the 2007 when housing market started kind of fluctuating. So people were starting to get a little bit antsy about things, about spending money. I actually got a job with Goodwill Easter Seals in Miami Valley, which to this day is probably the best job I've had. It was interesting that transition mirroring and like it seems like you learned that same lesson. Like, hey, it was great to make this transition to, to network engineer and be out in the field and learning new skills and pulling cable and installing new and different types of equipment, getting over to the, the networking side of things, you know, from like the, the computer technician part. But then realizing, oh, I need to keep on moving up. And again, like if I can't, then it's door three. <laughs> I'm moving out. Time became, you know, apparent that, you know, I wasn't going to really go any further with this company. Couldn't really make any more money. Started looking around and noticed that there was a um, IT support uh, engineer position was opening up with the local nonprofit Goodwill. They needed some help with uh, a bunch of retail locations, plus doing like internal support for all their uh, their nonprofit programs that they ran. And I applied for that, met a gentleman at a coffee shop, had a little conversation, again, got hired on the spot. So I turned in my notice at the other job and left and started working for the nonprofit. And uh, like I said, that was one of the one of the best moves I think I ever made. Um, it really opened my eyes to a lot of things. Like I think this was like the period of my career where I started like maturing as an adult, seeing, you know, how, you know, others way less fortunate than I was by leaps and bounds, how they still had like a, an immense work, work ethic. It's something that kind of irks me when I run across somebody that doesn't have work ethic because they, you know, they come up with all kinds of excuses like, well, I can't do it because of, you know, this problem, that problem. And I'm like, you know, you haven't seen problems until you see somebody with severe MS or still manage to, to hang clothes up on a daily basis and be thankful that they're able to do that. My time there, like I said, was just eye-opening every day. I enjoyed it. I didn't make a lot of money while I was there, but the experience of it was something that I, you know, I still cherish to this day. Would even consider going back there if they ever, ha you know, would have me back. Had you done work for any nonprofits similar to that when you were at the managed service provider or no? You know, myself personally, I, I don't know if the business did work, but myself personally, I didn't get to like go to a lot of those places. There was like, I think one or two churches I went to, to do like uh, wireless networking or, uh, you know, do a computer move, stuff like that, but not anything on the scale that I did it at Goodwill. I learned a lot about the challenges nonprofits have with just getting funding learned a lot of things that you can do as a nonprofit. There's not really an excuse that you can't get stuff. It's just, you got to go, you got to know where to go look and looking's like, you know, can be some somewhat of a challenge, but it, it's doable. And, you know, I saw that a lot when I worked there. Now I know it might not be that way with every nonprofit, but the size of their organization might've had a little bit of pull too. I, I don't know. I did, I did learn to do it on shoestring budgets there. We did our best to, to take care of a, I want to say it was around 27 retail locations point of sale kiosks, which I had a little bit of experience with at Walmart because um, I actually helped uh, store setup crews do some of the moves for that stuff. So, but I went to multiple places throughout their retail chain, did everything from the, like I said, the uh, cash registers, putting in the, you know, point of sale computers, getting all that connectivity taken care of. They did not have security cameras at these stores. So I actually worked hand, hand in hand with the loss prevention manager the time and uh, we got security cameras in every single one of the stores and I was an integral part of doing that and kind of as a thank you to my previous boss you know I kind of made that connection uh, with them and said hey you know if you want to do somebody deal with a local company because that's one thing they wanted to do I was like call call my former employer up and they'll get you all the stuff I was like you don't have to have them install it because I know how to install it just go buy this equipment from them turned out really nice um my former boss actually ended up thanking me for it, so it was one of the bigger uh, bigger sales he had. And last to my knowledge, they his now security business I think is still doing business for him. So, the personal connection you had back to your former boss. When we talk about connections, a lot of times joining a community gives us a bridge to make a ton of new connections. And with the use of the SpiceWorks software, at some point you got exposed to the SpiceWorks community. Can you tell us a little bit about your participation in that? 
I didn't learn about the forum part until I was working at Goodwill. I was doing basic internet searches, you know, for different problems I was coming up with. And I kept coming across, oh, there's Spiceworks in the Google searches. So I was like, well, it must be a pretty popular site. So yeah, it was just kind of like going through and just, you know, looking at some of the, the people there and uh, following along like, oh, okay. That, yeah, I have that same problem. And oh, there's a fix for it. Oh, cool. That's a novel idea. I'll try that. Or maybe I'll put my own spin on that because I could take a little bit of information from this post and this post, and then I can piecemeal my own solution together. And I, and early on, I remember that, that that's one thing I found that was really useful about it was just that, you know, there was just a lot of knowledge there. So I was like, oh, this is, this is really cool. And I couldn't really find a lot of like good forums at that point in time, but Spiceworks was one of them that kept coming back up time and time again. But going back to um, like, you know, making the connections and everything. Yeah. It's interesting choice of words there. Yeah. It's networking was all over in that job. You know, if I wasn't troubleshooting physical connections, I was making personal connections with people. And that, that was one thing I really liked about that job was just that, you know, I could take care of somebody's problem and, you know, that actually might help them solve somebody else's problem or few people's problems, you know, and those, those problems could have been, you know, somebody that, you know, you know, made some bad choices early in life, you know, but they were trying to get, you know, back on the right track and they were in a program, you know, to get basically job experience and, and make something of themselves. And, you know, those, they had, they had people that were employees that, you know, were helping those kinds of folks. And, you know, if their technology didn't work and they couldn't connect to, you know, some sites, like even just a simple job search site, you know, it had a ripple effect, you know, it didn't just affect the user. It affected everybody else that depended on that service. And that was one thing that, you know, it really hit home with me working there was that, you know, my work mattered. And that's something that I didn't feel in the pre previous two jobs was that my work mattered. That That's something that today, like, is still, like, on one of my top, you know, needs out of a job. I have to feel like my work matters. Because as soon as I don't feel like it matters, I, I just can't do it anymore. Maybe that maybe that's a personal flaw. I don't know. I, I like it because, you know, if, it, if the work matters, you do your best work. You know, I, I felt like I, I went every day and tried to do my best work there. But, you know, it kind of got to the point where, again, financial reasons, career reasons, I just couldn't go any further. You know, they had they had a very structured system. They had somebody that was already entrenched in the, like, management role, and they weren't going anywhere. So do I do I attempt to, to work my way into that, or do I just avoid all the politicking altogether and search elsewhere? Well, that's when an opportunity arose to get out of the nonprofit space and potentially be the first uh, full-time employee for a small, another small MSP. Like when I say small, they literally had like three contracts, um, but I was going to be their first oh, wow. full-time employee um, that they were hiring because they did not want to employ contractors anymore. They explicitly expressed, you know, some uh, dissatisfaction with the quality of contractors they were getting. And they figured, well, if we hire a full-time employee, you know, it'll be better for us. The pitch sounded really good. Um, I made a really good impression with them. They, again, hired me on the spot and basically said, you know, you're going to be kind of a manager. And I was like, okay, cool. This is some career progression, right? But it, it was it was kind of one of those manager name only kind of things. No, no real teeth to it. I did I did learn an awful lot there. I got, I got really self-sufficient. And this is where I started PowerShelling. Because when you work for uh, another school and you have five, 600 students at a time that, you know, are cycling in and out, that's a lot of Active Directory user accounts to uh, create. So, uh, you know, admissions would give us a spreadsheet and they're like, do something with these. We need them done by next week when courses start. Got to work. I was like, you know, I remember this thing called PowerShell and I hear it's pretty cool now, you know, because by this time I think it was hitting, I think version three, I think is when it was started because this would have been like, like server 2012. You know, I was like, I'm going to give this a shot. So I started getting into doing it with PowerShell, mostly because I was... Um, digging through some files one day and somebody asked me, they're like, why are you doing with PowerShell? We already have a batch file for that. I was like, Ooh, a batch file. So I get it out and I, I start looking at the documentation for this and they wrote the whole thing in VB script, executed the VB script with a batch file. And I was like trying to make heads or tails. I was like, okay, I'm trying to make sure that I'm doing everything the same way in PowerShell that this was. And it was frustrating because the, the folks that were doing it were so entrenched into continuing to use this VB script because that's all they knew. So I, I spent a lot of time like going through just like learning PowerShell and getting good at it. And, you know, even just like some basic things and finally uh, had some success with it and uh, had a PowerShell script that I would run once it every, every couple of weeks, they would have some new students coming in or students coming out. 
And I would just run this PowerShell script to create student accounts or go through and purge other accounts. Cause I think they had a policy at the time where it's like, you know, they still kept an active directory account for students if they wanted to come back and audit classes. You know, we're talking, we're talking like tens of thousands of 80 accounts that were at this one location just because they kept, you know, a couple of years worth. Finally, they, they like changed the policy where we actually started purging. Like after, if they didn't log in within the last year, we just purged their account. And if they came back and wanted to do it, we just remade their account. So, but I started doing all that with PowerShell. That job uh, kind of, kind of petered out after about a year. I went through and, uh, you know, was having some discussions with them, trying to get them, you know, to expand the business a little bit. They didn't have any interest in doing that. And then it also became very apparent that my gamble of taking a job with no health insurance uh, had ramifications. And my wife at the time was, uh, you know, in the final stages of nursing school. The nursing school basically said, uh, if you don't have health insurance, you cannot complete the coursework. You couldn't go through and do uh, clinicals, I think. She had, to have, she had to have full health insurance prior to doing clinicals. And she didn't have it. You know, would have been on my insurance. She was dedicated all all of her time, you know, strictly to being an RN and getting through those courses. And, uh, you know, I trying to be as supportive of her as uh, much as I could had to make the decision. I was like, well, okay, well, I can't stay here. You know, you guys can't, can't get me health insurance and I can't afford it because you guys aren't paying me enough to, to afford it uh, outright. I said, I'm sorry. I, you know, I want to keep working for you guys, but I have obligations. Um, and it just so happened that a friend of mine that I used to work back at Walmart. So we're going back to connections again long ago um, a good friend of mine who just happened to live down down there now said hey i'm leaving this engineering job out of, you know out of northern cincinnati he's like they need it people bad like they need somebody that knows what they're doing he's like that used to be me and i don't know what i'm doing but i'm leaving he's like because i'm an engineer so it's like i know how to i know how to build things he's like i don't know how to you know make computers work contrary to popular belief but He's like, you should give him a call. I was like, well, hey, it just so happens I'm looking and I'm desperate. So again, I don't know what it is. I, I got on the phone with them. Again, hired on the spot, like right there on the phone. I was like, okay, That cool. is awesome. I'll, I'll come in, you know. Yeah, it does. It, that was the last time that happened. <laughs> it, has, it hasn't happened on the first try since. So the, uh, I, I went there and got acquainted with the network. Um, and it was my first uh, experience with a multinational company. They had uh, their main offices were in the U.K., they had a, a small office that used to be quite large, but it was obviously downsized over the years. So I was like one of four people in a small office in, in Cincinnati. And uh, that job was a good job. Don't get me wrong. It was boring. First, The first two months I was there, I pretty much solved every problem they had IT related. And basically it was uh, replace equipment and get an Active Directory domain stood up. Um, they literally were on, everything was on Solaris. Or if it was actually something with like, you know, a bug in the software, you know, I had access to developers in the UK that I just basically would send an email to and say, hey, call me in the morning because by the time we were already getting those emails here, they were already off working in the pub. So, so I'd, you know, I'd have a full day of, you know, time in between waiting for a sport call. So in those bored hours, I started getting on Spiceworks quite a bit. That's how I spent some of my days. Like I'd get my work done in the first hour or two during the day, and then I'd have nothing to do for the rest of the afternoon. It was the first job I ever had where I had actually had my own office, four walls, a door, and a small window looking out into the hall. I had good benefits. Pay wasn't terrible. It was definitely a job that could have been done 100% remote. I even tried to lobby for that one time, and they were like, no, we got to have you in the office. And I'm like, there's not really a reason to have an office here, to be honest. I was like, this, everything here could be. But do you? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was like, do you really need an office here? Like, what's the real reason for that? But, you know, they they needed it here because of, uh, like, regulatory reasons. So that's another reason. But anyways, it was a, it was a good job. I, I had some really good people that I worked there with, um, you know, working with the, the, the other half of the IT, main company's IT in, in the UK. I knew that gentleman was getting ready to retire. So I was like, oh, opportunity. I can become IT manager for multinational company sweet so i approached the owner of the company and i was like hey i've already got familiarity with everything i'd like to you know apply for that job and he's like oh yeah yeah well you know i'll be over the u.s office you know in a couple of weeks you know we'll, we'll talk about it then so you know i waited came over we had a discussion and he told me like oh yeah yeah we'll we'll talk we'll continue this discussion you know keep talking about it i was like oh, okay cool i felt really good about it because i was like man i've already got the end i've got at least you know almost three years here and you know, I've, I've done all these projects really good. I've came under budget. You know, I upgraded a bunch of technology here without like any issues. 
get told like later on they're like oh yeah we already had somebody hired over here and i felt immediately like i was lied to they came here and told me to my face that they hadn't thought they hadn't hired anybody for this position and then he gets back and then they tell me this now like why again it was one of those things like why couldn't you tell me that to my face like i'm an adult i'm a big boy i got my big boy pants on just just tell me you know and i, I felt disrespected at that point and i was like i can't do this <laughs> i don't feel like my work's valued and uh I got to go. So I started, uh, you know, my wife and I had been talking, you know, she was ending uh, her time as a, uh, you know, in nursing school and she'd been working full time as a nurse now for at least a year or two. You know, like I said, I was in about in my third year with them. I was like, yeah, I'm going to start putting feelers out there. And we had talked and said she wanted to move home and, you know, been down that way for nine years, you know, we're like, yeah, it's time to go home. You know, if we want to start a family, you know, it might be better to be closer to family. So I looked looked high and low for different jobs and happened to come across one for um, a multinational identity company um, out of Fort Wayne, Indiana. I applied for the job and got a call back from a recruiter. And I was like, oh, that was really fast. And the recruiter's talking, I mean, he's talking up this company like really good. Like probably by far one of the best recruiting calls I've ever had was from this company. This recruiter, you know, calls me up and he's like, yeah, he's like, just out of curiosity, like what, what you want to be doing? I was like, well, I said, I'd really like to be like kind of running my own, own, you know, section of it. Like, you know, I said, it doesn't necessarily have to be managing people, but I said, I want to feel like my work is valued and actually has some meaning. I said, cause I'm kind of bored right now. You know, so it's not a bad job. It's just, I'm not really doing a whole lot of it. I'm doing more help desk work a lot than what I want to be doing. And he's like, okay, well, you know, you tell me how much you're making a year. And I made this dumb mistake. Um, I told him exactly what I was making forgot to fudge the numbers on that. And he's like, Oh, well, I think we can beat that by 10 K. He's like, "Will that, will that work for you? I was like, well, certainly it will work. So I got like an instant 10 K bump, got to move home. And uh, that's where I spent the next five years. I don't know that that's, that's the wrong thing to do. I think you, you need to know what it is that you need to make. Yeah. Right. To make the move. And, and a lot of times it's like, you know, it's a 15% raised just because you're walking away from your network and and your institutional knowledge yeah. i think that's like the general guidance so i don't think that's wrong yeah uh, you know it, it also sounded like you knew the answers to the questions that you were being asked right like what is it that you want to do well i want to be valued i want to do work that i find valuable you know i want to be respected you know those are things that are i think uh People, sometimes it takes a lot, long time for them to figure out like, oh, there's actually these things that I need. And, and it's a difficult thing to be able to answer. To, so for you to have those answers is pretty impressive. to uh, drop in there right at that moment, Nick, but um, we're going to break it off and, and split it, like I said, probably into two or three episodes. That last job transition that kind of re-triggered me listening to that again, just having that that idea of being in a situation where employers being dishonest in a job discussion, like that just is what a horrible feeling that was. Or, or even if it was like, you know, at the best like just uh, talking to somebody about their career and like making promises and then just forgetting and, and not following through. Like, and that's the best way that you could think about that situation. Really rough. Yeah. And in those types of situations, you feel like your work doesn't matter. And Bill said that he really needs to feel like his work matters in order to be happy at an organization. And I think a lot of us would agree with that. If you felt like you were doing something and no one found value in it, that's one of the three signs of a miserable job that Patrick Lencioni talked about in his book. That's all I could think about when I yeah. heard that statement. It's very true. Very, very true. And I think something that I always appreciate is when somebody talks about, you know, unconsciously or consciously, like understanding what it is that they need. Like that's like just a, that's 
tough in and of itself, right? But then understanding what you're missing and then actually acting to bridge that gap. That's just super, super impressive. It's a, you know, takeaway that I'll have to um, to write down. So should we tag that with self-gap analysis or something like that? Yeah, if maybe if somebody could help us like, uh, you know, just coin a new phrase there, something super catchy. Yeah. That would be great. I'm going with self-gap analysis. Self-gap analysis sounds odd, but okay. We'll, we'll come up with something. Yeah. I feel like Bill had this constant drive to advance and improve himself, and that's kind of the reason he was able to come to those conclusions. Like, I want to get better. I want to make this business better. Uh, you know, he even talked to one of the employers about trying to expand the business and they, yeah. they weren't ready for that, but he was, he was already thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, interesting when you have those things like burning in you, when, you know, something in your past has ignited that, that drive to, to improve. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's ambition. Some, you know, there's a number of things that it can be a combination of a bunch of different things, but to be able to like harness it, and not just wallow in anxiety, <laughs> you know, um, that's super impressive. Really enjoyed uh, just seeing the results of where Bill's gotten, falling through the journey, I suppose, at this point. And he had a great reputation amongst people who knew him, and that got him a job. So you never know what that personal connection with someone might do for you down the road. Absolutely. And then also cultivating that personal brand, mm -hmm. right? So it's not just that people know you, but they, you know, think positively of you and are willing to advocate for you, you know, when you're not there. That's kind of an amazing thing to, to accomplish yet another amazing thing. Right. And I'm sure you heard the book recommendation, another, another Don Jones recommendation here to read Own Your Tech Career. If you haven't read that one, that's a, that's a great one to get a copy of. Don't forget. Yeah. Man, I, I really feel like we should talk to Don Jones. You know what? I feel like we may have already. Oh, geez. Yeah. We um, owned that one. <laughs> Actually, he owned that one. That's why we have guests, yeah, so they can did. own the stage and give the great advice. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, that was a terrific conversation, and I highly recommend people go back and, and listen to that, too. If somebody like Bill endorses Don, then it must be good, right? Yeah. What is that? Episodes 138 and 139? That's just yeah, me. It's been a while. That's me shooting off the cuff. 137, 138. Oh, okay. It's close. That's pretty amazing that you can do that off the cuff, though. Every now and then. Every now and then. Well, John, I think that's it for that segment and all the topics we had planned. Anything else pop into your mind? Nope. Nope. That's it. Just a reminder that we'd like people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore for John White at B Journeyman. Signing off. Adios.